Hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This weekend, Felicity Kendall joins me as she returns to the West End in a brand new production of Noises Off. Laura Pulver stars in the new ITV drama Maternal and was here to tell us all about it. And Rosie Wilby shares all about heartbreak in her book The Breakup Monologues ahead of its paperback release. Show chef Martha cooks up something both sweet and savoury. There's a round of Guess the Guest and we're putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to kick us off. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. When I left home this morning, there were rivers in the roads. That's how rainy it was. You know, when the road just turns into, you think, oh, I could just aquaplane down that if I had a little board. <laughs> yeah, just like Aquaman. That you do that. Yeah, very yes, good. Yeah. Maybe I've got the wrong sport. I don't know. But I, could, I felt like I'd have just boarded down. You me. are looking very sporty. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to be down with the kids today, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. wearing an Adidas top. We're allowed to advertise on Virgin. We weren't at the other place, were we? No, no. And I think you're probably not supposed to hear. Oh, well, yeah. I'm just telling you what the top is. Yeah, and I'm wearing Nike shoes. Oh, there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've used some Wella hair shampoo as well. <laughs> Um, I watched your show on the train coming oh, up I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it was very good. <laughs> oh, good. It's very good. And I'm slightly in love with Ray, who sang <gasps> so amazingly. Are you playing any of her songs today? Let me look. No. Oh, you normally do that. If you've had somebody on your show, you normally play something? Uh, not today, maybe tomorrow. She oh. is so good. That song's one of those songs where it starts with a bit of rap and you think, oh, here, got everything going. here we go. I know what this is going to be like. And then off it goes. It's all these other kind of bluesy things and I'm going to buy her album. Has she got an album? Yes, she does. Yeah. It's What's it called? Do you remember? No. You haven't got your cards with you because it's a different shoe today, yes, isn't it? It's it's my. I'll find so, out. It's I'll a picture out. of an on top of a kind of a cartoony thing. Okay, that'll do. Uh, the team are the team, <laughs> the team are busy googling. <laughs> oh, are. my twenty first century blues. That's what oh, it's thank called. you. My twenty. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And, and immediately forgets. And a god of her, she's been going for about ten years, and this is her debut album. You know, she has pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and got lots of knockbacks, and it was so great. That kind of her reaction on the show last night, which came over after performed. Oh, she was thrilled. She and was then, just so properly thrilled. And that made me smile as well. Oh, you know, we were talking about Porsecco last week. Um, you know, Prosecco for dogs. Are you referring to a former show? I'm, I'm not going to remember that, <laughs> I know, but then somebody... <laughs> the minute I leave this building, no, it course, hasn't happened. Of course. No, but the reason I say it, is the reason for it, is because somebody sent me a thing that said you can have now perfume for dogs. It's called Porfume. Boo! I know, I know. And there's a Porfume called Toto Chanel. <laughs> Why can't it just be called Coco Chanel? A dog can be called Coco just as much I as know, Toto. I know, I know. But, you know, yeah. marketing people in their wisdom. And then I was thinking up other ones. And I was thinking, well, obviously, Pucci, designer. Oh, yes, yes. Bring one good, out. Yeah, and maybe yeah. Gervonchi. Boo. Oh, OK. So, you know, any other things that have poor in them and um, are for dogs. But it is clever of people to know that dog owners will buy any old rubbish at all if you put four dogs on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And probably you and I are those. Oh, no, we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the target market. I told you, I've got, I've got the ice lollies in my freezer for dogs. <gasps> I can't remember what they're called. Porsicles? <laughs> 
<laughs> Meat flavoured ice lollies. I don't know. How was your week anyway? It, it was good. It what was happened? good. What happened? Did you meet lots of famous people? Did you did you did you uh, tell me? I tell met, me. I met some famous people, uh, but you saw that. On the show. On the show. Yeah. And I did something else. I made my show and I just uh, I'm doing a top secret filming uh, out in Pinewood. I can't tell you anything about it. Top secret? Top secret. That doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> How long is the next record? Because I need to obviously put, get, put, get pliers on your nails so you'll tell well, me. No, no, during the record, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, but for, for the general consumption, it's top secret. That's it's, good. It's in Pinewood. It's not a film. It's not a film, I'll tell you I mean, you you're now. very busy for a gentleman in his later years. Do you know, I was thinking, as I was cycling through Storm Hilda, whatever the hell today is, uh, I was thinking, I am quite busy. <laughs> I, was, I was out yesterday, I was out the day before. Is that pleasing before. to you, to be busy? Uh, yes, it is, isn't it? It's better to be busy than not. Yes. I think... But if, if you normally, when you're not busy, you're writing a book. Yeah, not, that's not starting till... March or something, okay. and then then I'll then I'll be back at the the coal face of the, right. the laptop. Until then, you're just doing every job that's offered you. Uh, yeah, that kind no, of thing. not everyone. No, no. not not we, every we job. We know one that you're not paying <laughs> off that you're not going to take, but we know who is. We do. well, we think we do. We think we do. I think we should stop this now before we get ourselves in trouble. Virgin Radio. I shall read a letter. Go on, dear Graham and Maria. I've been close friends with a girl for a few months now. She has severe anxiety and has previously spent months at a time out of education due to this. I am truly her only friend and she relies on me entirely for anything social. In too many conversations, I've come to realise that she is prejudiced against people that she classifies as lower than us. She's insufferably pessimistic and hardly ever truthful. I understand that's because she's scared of the world around her, but I genuinely cannot stand her. Mm. I desperately want to distance myself from her, but I know that she's very fragile socially. I couldn't care less about her as a friend. It's not really true, is it? But I'm concerned for her as a human being. I'm afraid that she'll quit college and never see the light of day again. How can I execute this friendship breakup with the least amount of psychological damage to her? And that is from Hannah in Manchester. Oh, Hannah in Manchester. I mean, there's such a lot of compassion in your letter and then such a lot of sort of, you know, I, I can't stand her and so on and so forth. The, the thing is, Hannah in Manchester, you are also doing your course... Uh, you can't let it affect you. The The word here is boundaries. I would, if I were you, you're at college, there must be some sort of health and mental health care worker at college. Most colleges have them now um, that you could talk to because, number one, when I talk about boundaries, she's not your responsibility. Well done for taking her to social things. But if you can try and get other people, this is how, you know, takes a village and all of that, other people on board to help with it. So when you take her to a social occasion, you tell people slightly ahead of time, you know, she's having difficulties, could you perhaps befriend her and so on, so that other people get to do a little bit of what you're currently doing and certainly get in touch with the mental health worker at, at college because they need to keep an eye on her. That's their job. They need to see how the students are getting on um, and make sure that their mental health is OK. She's struggling. It's really not your responsibility. You've done a lot. I can only see it getting more of a heavy load for you, Hannah, in Manchester. So now is the time to 
put those boundaries in place and, as I say, share the load. What do you think, Graham? Well, it's one of those weird things. I think when, you you know, you hear about somebody who's struggling, you know, they've got an illness or, like, in this case, they've got severe anxiety and you feel sorry for that person. But, of course, that doesn't automatically mean the person's nice. And this woman sounds awful. She just sounds like an awful woman. So it's an awful person who has severe anxiety. Um, and she must get help for her severe anxiety. Now, whether uh, it, if that improves, she becomes a slightly more empathetic, you know, warmer person, we don't know. Well, Hannah is very mature by saying, I understand that she's frightened of the world around her, which makes one very pessimistic, which makes one nasty about everyone because you're frightened of it all. So I think Hannah has shown compassion, but she needs to now back away. Yeah. And, and you're right, like, it, it's not, this is not Hannah's responsibility. In a way, you've, you tried to do the nice thing, you know, in that you did befriend this woman. Um, but of course, no good deed become, goes on unpunished. So you are now left with this horrible woman you can't stand, who relies on you entirely for her social life. But, you know, equally, Hannah, you don't want to socialise and kind of be introducing this woman and kind of going, this is my friend, when, in fact, she then spews kind of... Well, you don't have to say that. You can say, this is um, blah, blah. project. This is girl's name, (laughs) who is on the course studying history, and I know that you are studying history, maybe you could chat. You don't have to do it as, this is my friend. You don't want to be judged by others because of her views. You want to be judged by others as a nice person who is trying to include somebody who you care for as a human being, as you said, Hannah, quite rightly. Not as a friend. No-one's going to say that to you. You like this person and she's horrible. <laughs> you and like hateful. her? No, uh, so you can yeah. do it in that way. And also, people have to want to be helped. And, you know, so... that you know, And you say, help is available. Yes. You know, particularly, you know, she is actually fortunate in that she is in an institution where help will be available. Yeah. Uh, so... If she's not getting the help, then you really need to think again, Hannah, because uh, what what's any of this for? If you're just her kind of social crutch to enable you know, her to be like this, then you're not helping her at all. No. And it's kind of wrecking your life. I mean, it's only three months, Hannah, and you've been very good thus far. You will come to resent this. I think you're already resenting it by saying she's a ghastly person and I don't wonder as my friend. But So you have to really put those boundaries in now. And you say, Hannah, that you're frightened she'll drop out of the course and never be seen again. Are you frightened of something worse than that? If so, you absolutely have to go to the dean or whatever you have as the head of the college to put you in touch with the right people because you're Hannah's you're this girl's contemporary not her carer not her social worker etc and it's going to become too heavy for you yes and also I wonder there must be a family involved here yeah but how do you get in touch with them do you say would you mind giving me your mum and dad's number I feel I have to call them about you well Well, what's interesting is something went on they they thought she was you know able for college now it's appearing she's not able so uh, i wonder if college is making her anxiety worse i you know i just don't know but hannah this isn't your responsibility that you know you you got involved and now regret it and now you're trying to extricate yourself so you are in a really great position because there is support around you're not leaving this woman high and dry you're you know you are giving her you know help yes and, that's, and the burden will get heavier and your shoulders will get more achy Yes. Uh, my favourite responders today will be getting a bottle of Waitrose Chilean Merlot.
Chilean Merlot. Uh, the grapes for this smooth and rich wine come from vineyards in the Rappel Valley, bringing notes of juicy blackberry and cassis. It's ideal with Mediterranean vegetable dishes. If you've got some Mediterranean vegetables and you're putting them in a dish, then you need this. Or lamb. The lamb would also spice. Uh, or just a straw. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Serving just for wine. A straw. Uh, Waitrose, Chilean, Merlot. Okay. Julie in Liverpool. I feel for you, Hannah. You're a good, caring person. All you can do is give her the details of the uni student support or pastoral team. If you're really concerned about her, you should tell them so that they can take over and reach out to her. Be prepared for some backlash, but just ignore it. You've done the right thing. If you're concerned and you let the team who can help the situation know. Wise words from Julie in Liverpool. Oh, Sandy in Bath. She's got it sorted. You should do three things. Three things, okay. One, speak to student mental health services about her concerns and ask them to contact the anxious friend to put support in place. Two, tell the friend that you are concerned for her and ask her to get in contact with the mental health charities Mind and Papyrus, who will be able to provide advice and support. And three, don't drop her as a friend. Have a coffee with her from time to time and be a listening ear. Her anxiety will increase if she becomes socially isolated. I mean, that is... You're right, Tony, but I, I, it is that thing, isn't it, where you think you're helping if you want to help somebody, but then you realise, oh, God, this is more than I bargained for, and you walk away. And you can't really, because it's like... I always think it's like feeding a stray dog. Don't start feeding a stray dog unless you continue... unless you intend to continue uh, feeding it. Otherwise, it's even crueler. Uh, John in Staley Bridge. Uh, separate the anxiety from the person. If she didn't have the anxiety, you'd set boundaries. Tell her she still wants to be in your life. She needs to stop being horrible to other people. If she doesn't change, she will have ended the friendship, not you. Reading between the lines, she sounds like she's using you to prevent her from facing up to who she is. I mean, you, you might be right, John. I don't know. Uh, Danielle in West Sussex. There's always a danger of internalising her problems through unconscious processing. Well, I didn't think I'd be using that phrase today, but there you go. If we have compassion, it affects us too. She needs professional help. Tell her this and you'll feel better for it and at least will have played your part. Uh, all good advice. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to give the uh, Chilean Merlot, courtesy of Waitrose, to Sandy in Bath for her three-point plan. That's what I'm going to do. Graham's Guide. Um, I'm going to read a second letter now, because okay. I know we're running out of time, Graham. Quick, quick, quick. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm looking for reconnection advice. I'm 24 and have been seeing a guy for about four months. He's 25 and from Central Europe. Mm. He's doing a PhD. He's an odd combination of extremely <laughs> social, yet very private and very difficult to read. He's met all my friends, which is rare for me as I'm usually reluctant to bring guys I'm dating to group things. I've also met his friends. Before we departed for Christmas, we had a conversation where I told him I liked him and asked him what he wanted. And if it was nothing, then I didn't think I could see him anymore. The conclusion was that although he does feel something for me, he doesn't know what he wants. And so according to my ultimatum, we should stop seeing each other. We haven't spoken since. Although I'm glad I let him know I felt I... I regret posing the ultimatum. I'm not expecting anything long-term because when I finish my studies in July and obviously the internationally long distance, it would be a significant problem. But I don't think I explained this at all well when we spoke and he probably thought I was asking him to be my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. 
I largely agree with the notion of not wasting time on someone who's not ready for you. But I'm young and equally don't believe in giving up easily on something you know could be good. I think he's a gem. Ultimately, I'm looking for advice on how to convey that I'm not looking for a major commitment, just looking for someone to enjoy my time with in a beautiful city before I leave, without it sounding like someone who hasn't taken rejection well and is desperate for anything as long as I get to see him. This is not what I want and I'm sure he would shut it down. Any balls of wisdom would be appreciated. That is from Leora. Leora in Cambridge. Oh, Leora in Cambridge is an awful lot to unpick there. I mean, I just remember Leora in Cambridge when I was 15. Somebody, one of the girls in my class said, look, you're either my best friend or we can't be friends. You, wow. I had to be best friends or we couldn't be friends. And so I remember saying to her, well, my best friend wouldn't back me into a corner in that way. So... I'm guessing we can't be friends. You've done exactly that, Leora, in Cambridge. You wanted a reaction. You wanted a positive reaction. You thought you would get a positive reaction, and you didn't, and now you're backtracking. It's a difficult one, but, you know, you're still there with him. You sound quite... Well, you're 24, so not that young. Um, <laughs> so I, I would just say, look, that conversation we had before Christmas, I think I frightened you off, you know. Basically, I just want someone to hang out, out with while I'm here. We won't be having a relationship because long distance, you're going here, I'm going there when you finish your PhD. It's just, I think I got myself in a bit of a lather and I would like... No, Graham's shaking his head. No, because this guy's well out of it. Um, <laughs> I, I, Leora, Leora... Has that ship yeah. sailed? I mean, just forget about this guy. If you just want someone to hang out with till July, just get on the apps again, you know, just chat to some guys after a lecture. You know, it's easy. You're well, in, you're basically, Leora knows that she's done a bad thing and she's messed up. And what she's saying is, oh, can you just help me just uh, change what I said? Well, you Take can't, Take him to a no. hypnotist. Now, you know, now, now you know, you know, don't... Don't put that. Don't put out ultimatums yeah. unless you're willing to follow it through. You did that, and, and he I, did follow it. Through. And he did follow it, through, and now you've learned a lesson. You see, you're at college and you're learning things, and you're young, and you know that there'll be lots of other people. Yeah. So instead of hankering after this guy who's busy doing his PhD, he's mixed messagey. Yeah. Go and, off and so, to somebody but also, else. She's mixed messagey. I know. Because, you know, oh, I'm not looking for commitment. Da, 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 da. And yeah, I asked him for commitment. And and I still want to hang out with him till July to the very last minute, but you're not my boyfriend. So just figure it out, Leora, and leave this guy out of it because he, I don't know, yeah. He, I mean, listening to us here, Graham, we do sound like Nana and Grandad with Leora because these are the things that you do. These are the mistakes you make when you're young, when you're at college, and you have to not make let them overwhelm you. You just have to go, oh, I messed up there. Learn for next time. Yes, exactly. And don't be quite so pushy. Yeah. I mean, because that's what it was. She wanted a reaction, she got a reaction. And it was the wrong reaction. Yes, and if you want to have fun between now and July, I'm sure it's possible. So, yeah. <gasps> yeah. Get out there. The world is your oyster, Leora. Let this guy go. Well, he, she has. Yeah. Not only that. I know, she, but she wants she to She get... pushed him away. She wants to claw him back. And that way, you know, self-respect, all of those things come into play And here. also, isn't that, that weird? That's some sort of weird game that I I made him go away, but then, Nana, I got him back. And the minute you get him back, you won't want him again. I'm afraid, yes, it sounds like that. It sounds a little uh, like a little bit of emotional maturity is needed here. Um, but that doesn't come until much later. You've got so many more mistakes to make, Leora. Uh, uh, and again, uh, my favourite response is we'll be getting that bottle of Waitrose Chilean Merlot. 
Chilean. I don't know. It's just Americans that say Chilean. I don't know. Carolyn Hereford. Leora is just not that into you. Move on. Caroline from the Isle of Wight. It sounds like your friend has a girlfriend who's settled to Europe. Enjoy your time and meet new people who are emotionally available. Uh, Julian Liverpool. You sort of asked for the outcome here. You played games, gave an ultimatum, and he gave you the answer you didn't want. Suck it up this time. You've missed your chance with this guy. Move on and be honest next time. Ooh, tough love. Paul, I'm guessing this chap already has a number of close female friends. Therefore, he can't commit more time to Leora as he won't have enough time to see his other close female friends. Leora, move on. Jennifer from Chesterfield. Stop kidding yourself. You wanted a full-blown relationship with this guy and now have convinced yourself that you'll be happy with the leftover scraps that he decides to give you. You're worth so, so much more. He is not interested and you giving the ultimatum isn't why... Uh, he'd make it known if he was interested. Enjoy your life and have self, some self-respect. Sent with love. Of course, Gemma. Sent with love. Uh, I'm giving uh, the Merlot to Julie in Liverpool for her no-nonsense. Well, hardy advice, more like judgment. But uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Well, now, I love a guest that doesn't need an introduction and uh, absolutely got one now. It's Felicity Kendall. Hello, hello. hello. Uh, so wonderful to see you. I'm so happy to be here. I adore you. Oh, and I, we're right back at you. Right back at you. <laughs> I know, because I was talking about you last weekend because you were on the cover oh, really? of... Were you on the cover of one of the Sunday magazines? You magazine. They spelled Kendall with two L's. Oh, <laughs> but you've only got one here, so I'm very pleased with you. Woohoo! No, it was a lovely picture. The picture was gorgeous. Those Good. glasses Power. were so cool. No, I, I, I have them. Oh, yeah. No, you look like a, a, a woman in a suit making decisions. I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Making a decision to look as good as possible. <laughs> I mean, just incredible. Yeah. So, and here's the other thing. You're now a back... Because, you know, I, I think, you know, a nice telly job, people would go, oh, that's nice. Felicity's doing a nice telly job, you know, sitting in a trailer, coming out. No, back on the West End no, stage. No, I love the theatre. I want. I love the theatre with a passion more and more, actually. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think it's also after COVID. You had that thing, and I thought just before COVID, I thought, well, I'm very ancient. I can I can take it easy, and I don't need to pretend to be anybody else. I can just do weeding or not cooking. And, and, and after about six months, I thought, I can't. No, no. I want people. I want to be with other people, and I want to talk to them. I want to be in a company. I want to be on stage and feel that audience, you know, and try and get it right. And so that was it. I was never going to retire after that. No, I'm the same because before COVID, I was thinking, oh, I can probably retire quite soon. I'm about no, to hit sixty. Did you do the same? No, then? and COVID. But made you me worked think, oh, through COVID. I did, but not as much. You not know, with you, you, and suddenly the 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 fear of everything we shut down. You know, non-essential. You kind of. Oh dear! Yeah. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, work seems like a great. No people. Thing. We yeah. need people. Because uh, the last time I saw you on stage was anything goes. Yes. So is this your? So now you're back in the West End. This is a 40th anniversary of Noises Off, Michael Frayn's comedy Noises Off. If people haven't seen Noises Off, they must see it. Yeah. No. Because. And I, I never say that about a show I'm in. I I was sort of oh I 
can't say come and see something. It doesn't matter. It is the company, it is the production, it's the speed, it's the laughter, and it's the it's the cleverness of the play with the complete confusion and silliness. But it is the craft of the writing. It's astounding, and I think it's a wonderful production. But it's collective. It's not one person doing a bit. We're all pretty damn good i have to say but <laughs> but it, it it is a it's a collective performance and i think that's exciting and it, people love it and they laugh and and i'm not ashamed to say that no and i feel bad i you know i've never seen noises off I've never seen it. And people tell me it well, is you've the... you've got... Please come. I, no, no, no. I will, because people tell me Sneak it is the funniest... in a mask. They say it is the funniest play they've ever seen. It can be. It can be. <laughs> it, 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 can go, it can go terribly wrong, I think, if it takes itself seriously, because the whole point is you're taking the piss of, about situations that... Are, and it's also people getting into a real state trying to get something right when everything goes wrong. And we, we've all been there and we know it, but it's, it, it's comedy. It, uh, it's farce, really. And it, I think we need it now. There's too much serious rubbish going on. Yeah. And how... I mean, how physical is it? How tiring? I mean, obviously, you're in rehearsals now, so you don't really know what it's going to be oh, like. Oh, yes, I do, because oh. we've done it. We, 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 we toured for six for six weeks. The, 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 the danger, the injuries, the wild look of fight or flight that comes into every actor's eyes backstage every now and again, you think, ooh, are you OK? <laughs> Whoop, down, they take off. Um, and... It, it, it is exhausting. It is absolutely... And we've got ages from very, very young babies to slightly more mature people. And I have to say, we are all keeping up, but it is exhausting for everybody in a wonderful way. So I so did you do it in Bath? Cause it, yes, it, yes, oh, so two this, weeks. Oh, I see. So this is no, theatre No, no, we've oil. done it. We, that's why I can be so firm about this, because <laughs> I've done it. I thought you seemed very confident. <laughs> I'm very it confident. is hilarious. You know, it's also <laughs> the other thing, is that every now and again you do a job, and if people say, no, that wasn't very nice, I didn't like it, or say, never mind, never mind, I believe in it, and I think it's funny, enough people do. So it's one of those shows that it... it, it even if somebody says it's it's not my cup of tea, that's fine, fair enough. But this is a, a good... Uh, you are confident it's a good I'm production. Confident, I'm confident. Audiences, Make you laugh, babe. Audiences have spoken around... <laughs> they have, <laughs> yeah. with their feet. Yeah, you open, <laughs> not that way, upwards. <laughs> <laughs> you, open, you open here in the West End uh, on Thursday, and it's a very... It's, a, it, it's booked now to avoid disappointment because it, it's only on till the 11th of March, and then you're all going to lie down in a darkened room with white rabbit heads. And then we're heads. going to go and see um, clever people to make us better. <laughs> Fix me. <laughs> Fix me. For goodness sake. <laughs> and you were talking about the whole the whole cast. It, it is starry. It's not just you. It's no. It's 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 it is actually the most. Well, it's a collectively one of the closest because we have to be, and it's full of the most wonderful, wonderful actors. Like Matthew Kelly's and in Matthew it. Matthew Kelly, Tracy Ann Oberman. It's absolutely wonderful. And Jonathan Coy. It's lovely. Is my, this is a terrible question? Is Michael Frayn still in the world? Oh, definitely. Oh, good. Oh, He's good. been oh, to yeah. see this play. We are oh, so proud. He's been to the play, I think, four times. Oh, marvellous. Which is astounding and astonishing since he knows every word. But I, I, he seems to be pleased because he doesn't come and complain. Well, no, I know that I only ask because when you hear 40th anniversary, no, 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 I know. you think, I, know. Mm, I wonder. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, well, yes, it's already dangerous, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> 
So I thought I better ask. Oh, yeah. that's great then. So and was no, he there? I'm was sure. he there for rehearsals, or did he? He came to the read through. He gave a speech saying, "This is going to terrify you, and don't worry." And I know it's the most difficult play, and I do apologise. Um, and we all thought, "Thank you," but of course, we can manage easily. Yeah. By week three, we were actually in tears because we couldn't <laughs> manage, and it was the most difficult play to rehearse. But, but must... he was—he's he's such a lovely, a lovely man. And then he came to a run-through and, and laughed a bit and had a few good notes. And then we opened and he liked it a lot, so. And it strikes me, because so much of the play is about the things going wrong in in this production of... Uh, is it and Nothing On is the name of the nothing play? Nothing On, yeah. Nothing On is the name of the play yes, within written Noises written Off. by a terrible writer, yes, who's just appalling. And so much of the comedy is comes from things going wrong. But in rehearsals... None of those things are actually happening. No. Well, it's the thing is, it is a terrible, really bad um, repertory theatre company with very, very bad actors who are all on the skids, all desperate. None of them are any good at what they do. <laughs> the director who is completely out of it um, and having affairs with everyone, and um, as happens sometimes. And and then they're going to these. They're going on this ghastly tour, but everything goes wrong, even from the first tech. And they can't remember it, nobody remembers it. <laughs> somebody gets drunk, somebody has a love affair, and they're all in tears. And they're desperately trying to put on this terribly bad show. And you see the dress rehearsal, then you see it when it's on, which is already a bit from backstage. But then you see it finally at the end of the tour, limping in, destroyed, <laughs> hopeless. Everybody's knackered, and the whole thing has fallen apart. So it's actually got quite a modern journey. Um, <laughs> and you see the people going through this ghastly experience. And it must be very hard and to play. And it seems to be funny. <laughs> it, but it must be, it must be very hard why. for you to, to play a, a bad actor. No, it's very easy. We all just know. The, 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 I think one of the things is you go on and you try and be as good as you can and then the situation takes over. Oh, I don't yeah. think you act badly. We're all trying to act as, as well as we can, and people still laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're at the Phoenix Theatre, which must be nice to be back in London to be I home. I love it, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you be... West End, yes, yeah. it's, it's really nice. It's, it's your own bed. It's Yes, it's my own bed. It's, 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 it's near, you don't... Yes, and it's, you've got lots of chums come round, you know, and it's very, very nice. It's lovely on tour, but it's nicer at home. And is this the... Is it March the 11th? Yeah. Is that the end end? I think it is, yes. It's it's one of those plays... I think a lot of a lot of the actors are going on to do other things and it's one of those plays that it is really hard and it, it isn't something to go on and on doing, for me anyway, but I think it is so successful, I think it'll go on tour forever, this particular production. And for you, you know, because, you know, you know your body, you know yourself, how much time at the end of this, March the 11th, how long will you be locked in a room for before you before you kind of think, right, I'm ready for another well, one? actually, the thing is, we were all damaged at the end. We were all exhausted. Actors coming off and lying down in the wings is not what you normally see backstage. They're usually <laughs> making jokes and being rude with each other. Um, but this, we were physically... But everybody was fit as a flea because it is a workout... And, and, you know, some of it, some of the sort of stunts are extra. I don't do them, but, and the, <laughs> but the, a lot of the actors are running up and down stairs like, you know, jumping up and down stairs like kangaroos and in and out. So actually, in the end, we were tired mentally, but everybody was really fit.
Okay, so you've got to be so ready for action. So I'm looking forward to it, yeah. March the 11th, look out. Felicity yeah. Kendall's be unleashed. <laughs> Felicity Flea unleashed Danger. on the world. It's dangerous. There's it, a it, warning going into the programme. It's a, it's a limited season. It starts this Thursday, it goes to March the 11th. You can get tickets for the Phoenix Theatre production of, or Phoenix Theatre, that's where it is. Uh, noises off. ATGtickets.com. ATGtickets.com. Uh, Felicity Kendall, I, I mean, I wasn't in a bad mood, but now I'm in a better mood. Oh, Thank you so bless. much for to see us. I'm so happy to have been here. Oh, lovely. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Let's chat. Let's chat to my second guest of the day. You've seen her in Spooks, Sherlock, The Alienist, The Split, and now you can see her in Maternal, which starts on Monday night on ITV at nine o'clock. Her name is Laura Pulver. Hello. Woohoo. Hey, Hello. Yeah. Good morning. I wish it was Zoo Radio. There should be people clapping and woo, 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 woo. There you go. Very good. <laughs> Whooping yourself. Julia has, Roberts yeah, style. Has, has it come to this? <laughs> um, so maternal, mm. uh, you know, I was just saying in all the papers today, it is the pick of the week. Everyone's loving this. So uh, talk to us about it. It's about three women who work in the NHS. They do. And they're all returning from different lengths of maternity leave back to post COVID world of frontline medicine and um, it is a brilliant portrayal, um, a very truthful portrayal of women juggling very high-profile professions and parenthood. Yeah. Um, and our brilliant writer, Jackie Honus-Martin, it's her very first TV show, and she just hasn't shied away from any of that lovely, delicious, funny, witty stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's got everything in it. It's really heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, it's blooming funny. Um, and it's very relatable. And also very timely, mm-hmm. you know, at a time when, you know, the NHS needs our love, uh, this is a kind of love letter to the institution. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and it's it also is exposing, but an equal measure, like you say, uh, acknowledging just what a crisis this entire institution is in. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah. And particularly interesting to because it doesn't just focus on nurses and doctors. Like you're a surgeon, you, you are you you're the you're the you're the choose your words carefully. <laughs> m- most successful of the three. Um, well, it depends. Um, surgeons of, often are regarded as the as the top of the tree and and yeah. behave in such a way. But it's tricky for my character of Catherine because she is a very male dominated profession. I, still. I, and it was only when I was watching it that that you realise. Oh, actually, yes, most surgeons are men. All men. Yes, I think 15% of women in 2022 were qualified as surgeons. 15% and still... my Why, characters, why is that? Um, it's um, a You very, should know, come on, tell it's us. A very, <laughs> it's a very white male profession. Um, and for, I think, the longest time, um, women, hormones, vulnerability have, have then not been um, greeted, should I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Into, into that world. And I think... Um, I actually um, followed a couple of female surgeons and had one at my beck and call throughout the filming process. Um, And it's fascinating. Like, I remember her telling me a story about going to hospital one day and there's a a male surgeon's changing room and a female nurse's changing room. And she's a female surgeon. She was like, which one would you like me to go in? And that was in, like, 2020. Like, it's just just ridiculous that still now... Or because she's a very petite, gorgeous young woman, she'd have to write doctor... On her, on a, on a surgeon's cap, because otherwise people just assumed she was a nurse because she was a woman. And also, you imagine that in something like the medical profession, mm. 
maternity leave would be more accepted or more understood. But in this, it points out that actually it's knocked your character back. Her career has kind of suffered because she took the time out. Yeah, I, th- I think it's perceived by middle-aged white men as a weakness, sadly. Um, and that's the kind of path that Catherine's trying to be a trailblazer of um, because I I guess it's not a job. It's a it's a lifestyle being a being a surgeon um, and you are married to that to that work. So um, there's a line actually in the show that do you not think being a mother would make you a better doctor? Um, and it's totally true. Yet that's um, that's going to take a while, I think, to to change in some people's minds. But also that weird thing that I think for for mothers going mm. back to work to, in a caring profession, it's like, am I still caring <laughs> for <laughs> am everyone? I, am I still looking after people? <laughs> but I guess that's the difference between being a surgeon. Like you, your skill set is very different. But yes, you are still caring. Yeah. You're still fixing people. You, you get and, to cut them open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, just cut them a snack. Um, but um, I guess the good, the interesting thing about being a surgeon is that you are dealing with kind of life or death situations. And it's so interesting. All the surgeons that I spoke to intensely were very open in telling me their personal stories as to why they've decided to go into that profession. It's definitely not for the money. It wasn't for the ego. Like there is always something that's happened within their early childhood childhoods within their family lives that then has prompted them to pursue that line of work. And how how far did you go? Were you observing actual operations and things? I followed two paediatric surgeons, which was very tricky having... I have... At the time, I had a five-year-old and a one-year-old daughter. Um, uh, paediatric surgery is on another level. Um, yeah. Um, so I was, I was very, very present for those two weeks. Um... And it's a lot, especially the parents. As a parent myself, I yeah. found myself more time just holding space for those for those people who yeah. are trying to process. Because I guess the second you pee on a stick and see that you're pregnant, you never assume there's going to be any complications. <laughs> it's just like, well, we're going to get a baby. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I did. Um, and um, and no, sometimes there's rarely, thankfully, yeah. but sometimes there's complications, and you need these brilliant, skilled professionals. Um, to help you who need um, definitely more than a clap. Yeah. And I guess one of the... I mean, what's interesting is that these three women, mm. their, their, their kind of maternal thing is quite different. Like, for instance, your character, there is no baby daddy. That... No baby daddy, no. Single mom, first-time mom. And because she's a surgeon, she just thinks, well, I can schedule this, you know. But she has no concept of a child not being able to be scheduled and not being a robot and... And um, so it's very interesting as a mum to be playing this knowing <laughs> what she has to come. <laughs> yeah. But also uh, because your own baby daddy is in the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got to buy one, get one free on this. One. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was that, was that make the act? Because he, he's one of your loves, love interests. One, in, uh, one yes, of one of my loves. Uh, did that make it easier to act or harder to act? Um, easier. It was wonderful. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, I guess I, I said for a second, this is going to be odd. And he, he went, well, I don't know, let's find out. Um, and we'd never worked with each other before. And yet... We've done like self-tape auditions over Zoom for years and all that type of thing, um, as you do as actors. 
Um, so look, I've, I know how brilliant Raza is an a, as an actor, but it's wonderful also to go on set and go, oh, you are that brilliant human being that I know at home, at work. Like there is no side, there is no difference in hopefully the same way he found that out about me. <laughs> oh, actually, that would be terrible, wouldn't you, if you discovered that your partner was... Was a, Norma Desmond on set. Yeah, yeah, it was just a nightmare yeah. on set. And suddenly you're rolling your eyes and going, I can't apologise enough. Yeah, yeah, that would <laughs> I'm be so awkward. sorry. Awkward. Uh, but no, thankfully, Phew. that wasn't the case. No. We're, we're all good. Yeah. And how many... There's, it's just, this is uh, six hours. Six-parter, yes. Um, uh, how, I mean, I don't know how it finishes, but does it finish in a way that we might meet these characters again? I would say so, yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes. And certainly, like as I say, certainly the all the journalists are saying this is great and you must watch it. Yeah. So this is exciting. So it's this really could, exciting. This could oh, be a new thing. Thing. Yeah. It's. Re- I was. I was. As I was just saying to you before, it's so. It's so interesting when you get the script. It's brilliant. You get the cast list and you go oh, and then you put the recipe together with a great crew and great director James Griffiths. But you never know what the end product's going to be. And sometimes the magic happens and sometimes it just doesn't. And you don't know why. You can't always put your finger on why. So it's always wonderful when the ingredients come together and it then surpasses your expectations. Yeah. And and universally is being shown a lot of love. Yeah, that's good. We did something right. No, because it is. I often think that when you, you know, for work I have to watch a lot of movies or something. And you think, no one tried to make a bad movie. Like, no one sets out to make a bad movie. No, you would hope. <laughs> You'd hope. And yet, so many of them are. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yes. Well, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be very diplomatic. <laughs> no, I like all movies. I'm a chapter host. I do like all movies. I've never seen a movie I didn't like. But, uh, but yes, I know exactly what you mean. That thing of there's just an alchemy in the air. Sometimes and... it works. And so, I'm, just, I'm sure it's the same sometimes on your TV show. You know, sometimes you get a group of guests together and it just gels and it goes on fire and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, no. no. <laughs> the computer says no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not happening. Go to the Red Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what are you like with your own stuff? Like on Monday night at mm. nine o'clock, will the two of you sit down and watch it? You bet. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I celebrate those moments because I just think you know they're milestones in your career, and and I I I don't know why I, I feel quite objective when it comes to that watching I, I don't know I feel like a punter to be honest I feel like just Joe Bloggs putting the TV on because yeah. actually once you've done it and it's gone through the edit it's no longer your show like your, your stuff was done months ago yeah um, so it doesn't feel personal anymore in a way and also, I feel like if you can't be bothered to watch it, why would anybody else? Yes. How would I? How could I possibly tell my mother to tune in? You're right. Um, yeah. Will your mother enjoy it? Oh yeah, I think she will. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah. That says a lot about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think she will. Yeah, she's a blooming great mom, and and the amount of sacrifice she's made for me over the years, and for and to help me go back to work. Actually, my son was my first child was 16 weeks old when I went back to work and she was there with me on set god love her in order for me to to go and work and still carry on breastfeeding so that must be the hardest bit that the trying to keep breastfeeding while you're back at work must be just hell um yes Yes, because all you can... I, I never, Things I didn't think we'd be talking about yeah, today. It's, it's it, back in, like, five years ago, thick breast pumps have come on since then, but it was like... <laughs> and you'd be in your trailer and there'd be, like, a, an intern going, Lara, we need you back on set. I'm like, just give me a minute. <laughs> and, yeah, 
Yeah, so, um, yeah, conversations you never thought you'd have. <gasps> Lovely images we didn't think we'd have mm. in our head. Uh, Laura Pulver stars in Maternal. It kicks off uh, Monday night at 9 o'clock on ITV. Thank you so much for coming in to see oh, us. Thank uh, you, and Graham. good luck with it all. Thank Here's you, thank to season two. Woo-hoo! Come on, let's talk about it. <laughs> oh, there's still more to come. There's a round of Guess the Guest, and we speak to Rosie Wilby on her paperback, The Breakup Monologues. But first, ding, ding. The trolley has arrived. <laughs> what is sitting upon it, Martha? So today we have another of the Waitrose Super Saver recipes. Something that's quite friendly on the budget, but this is also delicious. So we've got salmon. <laughs> I feel like I needed but to this, squeeze that in. This is delicious. This is also really delicious. <laughs> You'd I mean, eat this. You hear cheap, you think, mm, am I going to enjoy it? Hopefully you will enjoy this. So we've got salmon fish cakes oh, yes. with pointed cabbage and chive sour cream kind of dip slash sauce. Okay. Uh, what's pointed cabbage when it's at home? So it's a variety of cabbage. Oh, is spring, it? Particularly good in the spring. Um, and it has a big point. It's like a regular <laughs> cabbage with a pointed bit. <laughs> but th- what is normal cabbage flatter? No- normal cabbage r- is round. Okay. Like oh, I see. Lettuce. Oh, I see. So the whole, whole head of cabbage has a point. Yes. The Yes. So not each individual piece, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but no, the whole cabbage is like a big cone. Okay. It's quite quite beautiful. And is, is it it looks quite light green. Yeah. It's it's a little bit lighter than I think you can get white cabbage which obviously is very pale but then mm. you can get the darker green cabbage like you might have in your school dinners. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not many other uses for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is a really lovely cabbage it's got slight sweetness to it and it's because it's a, it's kind of in the spring greens category so it's really crunchy and just has a lot of vibrancy. Okay. And this is uh, uh, I'm thinking lunch. I think lunch. I think lunch. <laughs> or if you were making kind of dinner for kids, this would be a really good kind of quick, nutritious thing to throw together. Yeah. And kids love pointed cabbage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm, yeah. Mom, is it the pointed cabbage again? That's a good again? point. <laughs> That's very overheard in waitress, isn't it? <laughs> the fish cake's great for kids. But cabbage, for your, for your parents later. <laughs> well, no, make them eat it. Make them eat it. It's great. Yeah, it's character forming. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, fish cake sounds like it's going to be quite a simple dish to make. It is nice and simple, this one. And we're using tinned salmon. Okay. So even simpler because you don't have to do anything. Cook your fish no. properly. Just, <laughs> it's yeah. already been done for you. And it's probably got a ring pull. Uh, do you know what? I didn't have a ring pull. I had to bring my can opener. Stop it. I know. Oh. You have to work for this meal. <laughs> no, I know. Do you know the differences between UK and America? I was in America for Christmas and uh, they don't have ring pulls on their cans. What, on anything? No, hardly anything. <gasps> hardly anything. Whereas here, it's sort of become standard now. Yeah. I was very surprised. I guess tuna often you have to get your trusty can over. These are the heavy duty cans, you know, storing their fish. Uh, that was delicious. I'm, you know, I didn't get to finish it because even I, human gannet, uh, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't couldn't get it all down uh, during that. It's really good. The cabbage, should we do it in two parts? Or do you, you cook them completely separately? Yes, they get cooked completely separately. Let's start with that cabbage, because it's lovely. It's got a kind of real sweetness to it. Oh, thank you. It is a really nice... A spring cabbage, when you start with it as a raw ingredient, is delicious. But the way this is cooked, it only takes 10 minutes, but you put your oil into a pan first and add a tiny bit of sugar. It's just one teaspoon of sugar. Okay. Sprinkle it in, and this just helps kind of encourage caramelisation to happen. So we're not just boiling and having soggy cabbage. We're having nice, crispy, sweet 
cabbage. Mm. So that goes in. Then we put our cabbage in. It takes about eight minutes. So you mix it around until it's cooked through. And then at the end, we're going to add a teaspoon of vinegar. So white wine vinegar. And this just creates that balance. And it helps to cut through kind of the fattiness of the rich salmon and all the other kind of oils we've got going on. So you add that, season it with a bit of salt and pepper. You've got a really nice cabbage side dish. Isn't that weird? It tastes like so much more is going on than that. Yeah, really simple. I think the backbone of a lot of cooking is just that getting that balance of acid and sweetness and saltiness correct. So when you yeah. take something as simple as a cabbage, you can transform it into something delicious. And did you cut it that with a knife? Because it's sort of shredded. Yeah, just cut it with a knife. Because it comes in this kind of long cone shape, you of can course. just slice it all up yes. and it creates these little shreds, these rings. As nature intended. Exactly. Yes. Easy peasy. <laughs> okay, so our cabbage... Do you prepare the... How did you do? Did you prepare that cabbage first and sort of keep it warm? Or did you do it all at the same time? So I did prepare the fish cakes first to make the kind of mixture which I'll talk about in a second. Okay. And then whilst you're frying off the fish cakes, do your cabbage at the same time as that in a separate pan. Okay. And then throw them together at the end. Okay, marvellous. All right, so talk us through the fish cakes. So fish cakes, we're starting with potatoes. We're cooking these in the microwave, so it's really quick. So you literally pierce them all over so they don't explode and then microwave them for 10 minutes. You could also do this, boil them in a pan and then let them dry off a little bit. And then we're going to mash those together in a big bowl with the two cans of salmon and you can remove some of the little bones from there if you don't like the texture of them but they are fully edible so you can leave them in if you like okay so they won't kill you no they won't apparently a very good source of calcium okay so chuck them in if you want a nutritious january (laughs) (laughs) what did you have for dinner fish bones (laughs) (laughs) really on a budget no (laughs) they do taste good i recommend adding them in um and then you're going to put in the zest of a lemon season it with salt and pepper and some chives and then give that a really good mix together and it should hold itself together at this point so we're going to press it into little patties i realized i made quite big ones and i looked at the picture after i'd made them and thought wow mine are enormous yours are about the right i would say the right size they were what i would anticipate a fish cake but in the picture they're a bit smaller which would mean they cook faster yes but i would say mean (laughs) mean Just one little that's, one each. That's the size a fish cake should be. <laughs> Why, thank you. And then we're just going to fry them in butter, a little bit of butter, a little bit of oil, about four minutes on each side until they're nice and crisp. But you can't really go wrong because the tinned fish has already been cooked and the potato is cooked through. You just need it to be hot and crispy. <laughs> Come on, everyone. You're you can do this. Chef, you can you do, can do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got, our, we've got our fish cakes. We've done our cabbage. Uh, the chive sour cream. Do you buy that done or do you do it yourself so you buy the sour cream and then you're gonna add in some chives chop them up nice and fine mix them through bit of salt nice dollop on the top it adds a really nice little bit of contrast bit of creaminess lovely uh, that's gorgeous well if you want to get recipe uh, you can get it uh, on the graham norton waitrose hub just go to waitrose.com slash show chef and you can see this recipe and indeed all the recipes prepared by Martha. Or you can visualise it. You can visualise <laughs> it if you go to our socials at Virgin Radio UK. That's salmon fish cakes with pointed cabbage and chive soured cream. And I was thinking as you were doing, like if, if you've got leftover mashed potato, mm. then this is a, a no-brainer. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's not got many ingredients in the fish cake itself. So you can, you can be creative. Yeah, do that. Do that. Uh, well, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. What are we getting tomorrow, thank Swedish Avery? Something sweet is actually in the oven as we as we talk right this moment. Get out of town. <laughs> Be is... ready for tomorrow. Okay. Wow. What it's not you... staying in all night. Don't I was going to say, what the hell is it? <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to encountering that. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Martha. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Hey!
the trolley is parked up. <laughs> Beautifully done. Parallel parking. Uh, beyond I'm getting repair. good, is it? <laughs> uh, very good. Very good. Hello, Martha. How are you this Sunday? I am well, thank you. Very good. Uh, I was talking earlier about your search for the elusive rhubarb. <laughs> did you Did you find some? I did find some. Some lovely, vibrant pink forced rhubarb. Gorgeous. Uh, so this is, is this the beginning of rhubarb season? It's the, yeah, it's the very beginning of the winter kind of rhubarb season. So there's two kinds of rhubarb. We've got forced rhubarb, which is the lovely pink, thin stuff that you might find in the shops about now. Yeah. Or everyone's <laughs> obviously soon. buying it. <laughs> really soon. <laughs> um, or in the summer, you get kind of the summer outdoor grown rhubarb, which is green and a little bit more chunky. Okay. And a little tartar? Uh, I actually don't know what, what the flavour difference is, but I would say forced rhubarb, firstly, it's bright pink and beautiful yeah. to look at. And it's a lot kind of, um, doesn't have that woody texture. It's a lot more gentle to eat and easier to sweeten. But of course, this isn't this isn't just about rhubarb. <laughs> uh, tell us what you've made in, in entirety. So we've got a rhubarb and rosemary creme brulee. <gasps> Get out of town. I know. Uh, and the... the is the rhubarb in the creme brulee? So the rhubarb is on the side of the creme brulee. Okay. Um, which I think is a nice, it's a good idea because sometimes when you <laughs> when you put <laughs> when you put fruit into a creme brulee, fruit releases its juices at different points and it can make the custard a little bit less than silky and smooth. So I quite like separate, yeah. lovely silky vanilla custard with a rhubarb sugar topping. Oh, okay. And I'm um, sorry, a rosemary sugar topping. Okay, I was thinking that, I've never heard of like, it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, mind you, I've never heard of rosemary sugar either. <laughs> <That's> so, <true. laughs> yeah, it's quite an unusual creative recipe, but I kind of like that. It's the kind of thing that would impress people. They're like, I've made a creme brulee, which is impressive enough, but the fact that you've then zhuzhed up these fancy ingredients into it as well. Yes, I must say, creme brulee is something I would order in a restaurant. Mm. Because do you need a Bunsen burner to make this? Um, I did bring in my blowtorch. Yeah. I do wonder if there is any laws about bringing your own blowtorch on the train. But, you know, I did it anyway. All right, let's move <laughs> swiftly on. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> yeah. Um, or you can use a grill. So everyone's got a grill. Yeah. I would recommend that. But if you want a blowtorch, put it on your Christmas list for next year. <laughs> it's okay. Fun. I, I, that's what puts me off there. And, and and also, you know the way sometimes in a restaurant you might need a hammer and a chisel <laughs> to get through the topping? Uh, is this is this quite a light topping? It should be. The thing with when you're putting your sugar on top is less is more in this kind of case. It's very easy to just think, oh, it needs sugar on top and just pile it up high. But you yeah. just need a very thin coating kind of if you t- tip the excess off. And then you just melt that very top layer and that should create a little kind of glassy shutter on the top. Well, let Fingers me see. <laughs> let me, yeah, 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 Martha. Yeah, let's see. Let's, let's see, see how it pans is. out. Let's see how it, it is to shatter. Uh, right, you're in the middle of finding out how to make rhubarb and rosemary creme brulee. It is delicious. And, do you know, tasting that rhubarb, I feel like I haven't tasted rhubarb since I left home <laughs> all those years ago. My mother used to make, she just loved stewing a bit of uh, rhubarb. Stewed rhubarb. My grandma used to do that as well. Uh, this is delicious. So, what have you? What should we start with? Should we start with the main event, the brulee, or let's start with the brulee? Okay, let's start with the brulee. So it's actually not that difficult to make oh, custard yeah. things. People think, oh no, custard is really hard. Um, but there's even a whole week on Bake Off, I think now, dedicated to just custard. Really? Last year, yeah, because wow. it is does have its like accolades, but not many ingredients and nothing too complicated. So we're going to start by taking double cream and milk and a bit of van- vanilla, so either extract or vanilla bean paste. Leave that to infuse just for about twenty minutes or so on the side. Then we're going to warm that up. 
-hmm. You want to take five egg yolks, so pop them into a bowl, add some caster sugar and just mix those with a, not an electric whisk, just a balloon whisk for a couple of minutes until they're nice and light. We're going to pour in the hot cream into the egg yolks. Mix, 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 mix. And that is your brulee mixture done and dusted. So now all you need to do... See, can I just say, in your <laughs> lovely Marcel Marceau mime there, you made that seem so simple. Good. Well, it is. I feel like a lot could go wrong. It, as long as you don't get the cream too hot... Because you don't, want to, cook, you don't want to cook the yolks, no. do you? So you just want to be gently... But I, even draft someone in if you're feeling nervous to do the pouring whilst you do the mixing. Okay. That's the hardest part. All then right. you need to just divide it between your ramekins, put them into a roasting tin, and then we pour hot water into the roasting tin, not into the brulees. No. Round the brulees. A la, a la bain-marie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Bain-marie has her bang back. Okay. And this will make sure that your custard is really lovely and smooth and silky and it kind of protects the outside from getting too hot and caramelising. Okay. That goes into the oven at 160 degrees for about 50 minutes. Give them a little jiggle at 50 minutes and they should have a little wobble in the centre but be set around the edge. Get okay. Get them out and chill them overnight, ideally. Okay. Um, and then we're just going to make some rosemary sugar to go on the top. You can use plain sugar yep. if you want. Yeah, let's do that. But yeah. rosemary, it kind of adds a nice little kind of aniseedy kind of flavour that cuts through all that sweetness and that richness. So you literally just put sugar into a blender with some rosemary and blend. Turns it green. So exciting. But wait a minute. And is that like fresh rosemary? Fresh rosemary. You don't use dried rosemary. Half a bunch of fresh rosemary um, and all the lovely oils go into the sugar. And when you're ready to brulee, you just sprinkle a teaspoon over the top, take your blowtorch to it or put it under your grill until it's got lovely and bubbly and then leave it to cool completely before you try and crack that top. And yours has worked a treat. It's it lovely. did do a lovely how, crack. How does, that, how does it go wrong? You know, sometimes you get it and, and you try to, you go to kind of uh, hit it and your spoon just goes through it. It's really just like hot sugar on top. Oh, I would imagine too much moisture. So you want to do the brulee in quite close to when you want to serve them. Ah. You don't want to do it and then leave it because the moisture in the air will make that turn back into top tip. a top caramel. Tip. Uh, okay, and are the, the beautiful pink rhubarb on the side how do you do prepare that so we're going to take the rhubarb cut it into little kind of strips that are all a similar size always important with rhubarb because batons. as soon as baton exactly crudite size really <laughs> little little rectangles yeah, yeah if you're not if they're not all the same size some will collapse and some will be tough so try and get them all the same you put them into like a, a shallow pan like a frying pan with a tablespoon of water two tablespoons of that rosemary sugar and then you just simmer it for 10 minutes and then leave it to cool Get out of here. Easy. Well, that, in fairness, even I'm thinking, yeah. that sounds doable. <laughs> you think I can yeah. do that? They look so impressive. And it's nice to, if you're making your dessert for when people are coming around, because it's all in the fridge, it's all ready to go, apart from a little brulee. It says in the recipe as well, if you want to be extra fancy, you can flambe the top of the brulees with alcohol before cracking into the top. <laughs> I that mean, might be a step too far for yeah. me. No, suddenly the <laughs> curtains are on fire. Yeah. Your guests are running screaming. You're trying to put the fire out with rhubarb. It's no. If no. you love a bit of risk taking, <laughs> you go for it. But yeah. don't blame me. Check your insurance and then go for it. Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, please don't text in. It's not our fault. It's all Martha's fault. Uh, rhubarb and rosemary creme brulees. Uh, that recipe and indeed all the recipes can be found on the Graham Norton Waitrose Hub. Head to waitrose.com.
slash showchef uh, to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You could also check out the visuals. And today there's a little video, a video <laughs> of me cracking the sugary top uh, on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, thank you very much, Martha. Have a lovely week. You too. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my guest, award-winning comedian, podcaster, journalist. Uh, she has just published, well, she has published her second book, The Breakup Monologues, The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. It was in hardback last year. It comes out on Thursday in paperback. Please welcome to the show, Rosie Wilby. Hello. Hello. It's lovely to meet you. Very nice to meet you across a crowded room. Hello. <laughs> right. And we're waving in yeah, the we're, distance. We're waving. <laughs> yes. It, it, on the radio, it sounds like we're having a, an intimate chat. <laughs> in life, we're yelling at each other across. Yeah, a, he's miles away, away, everyone. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Who am I talking to? Is it that lady? Is that is that? I've Rosie? had audiences yeah. who are closer to this. Uh, so the breakup monologues. So did this. So obviously it started with your life. Yes, yes. As yeah. things often do yeah. when we are writers and comedians <laughs> and performers, we start with our own tragedy. <laughs> and my obsession with breakups all came about many years ago when I was dumped by email, which I thought was a bit. A bit cold at the time. Actually, now perhaps it would be very polite in the era of ghosting and just sort of yeah. disappearing. But I joked at the time that I felt much better once I had corrected her spelling. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, of course, being dumped is a real shock. It's a really bewildering experience. You lose that future that you had planned in your head and you feel like the rug has been pulled from under you. So for me, I've always found understanding the science of something helps me to move forward and process it, perhaps because I'm a bit of a nerd and I was good at science at school. But I find that really useful. So I decided I wanted to go on a quest to unpack and understand the psychology of heartbreak and what on earth is going on when we get dumped, what's going on in our brains and why do we feel so very terrible. So you can read all about me doing things like going into a sex lab experiment, <laughs> which was an intriguing afternoon where I'm, I was shown erotic images and and um, the control clip in between those erotic images was a nature documentary, <laughs> which is very interesting. To just calm you down. Yeah. yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> but I think that was almost a bit more thrilling, really. <laughs> and is it always... I mean, in my head, there's no good way to dump someone. It's just how the dumpy unpacks it. It's how the dumpy then deals with it. Is that correct? Yes. Or, or do you think there are better ways to dump people? I think there are more compassionate ways because we now have, well, this phrase that came about a few years ago, conscious uncoupling, which... Good uh, old Gwynny. Good yeah. old Gwynny. Although she didn't actually come up with oh, the phrase. Oh, didn't she? No, it was actually an American psychotherapist and family therapist called Catherine Woodward Thomas. And so Gwyneth actually popularised this name. Thank you very much. So, yes, that's right. We all think that that she invented it and came up with it. And we all think, oh, that sounds a bit woo-woo, doesn't it? <laughs> and it sounds very Gwyneth. And I, although I don't know if I'm a fan of the, the phrase itself, it sounds a bit strange, I do like the idea of being as compassionate as possible and communicating and as honestly and openly as possible. I don't really like all this, these new ways of dumping someone like ghosting and breadcrumbing and orbiting and submarining. What on earth do they all mean? <laughs> My favourite one is marleying where you ghost someone, but then you pop up again at Christmas. 
oh, that is good. Yes. I thought you were going to pretend to be dead. You know, Mar- <laughs> I thought it was going to be like Marley and me. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. You just, you just, I'm so sorry, I'm dead. Uh, please, please don't try to contact well, there me. Is, there is a chapter in the book entitled, I thought I'd been ghosted, but he'd just gone to prison. <laughs> Um, so when did you decide to turn your own heartache into... Did the, the podcast came first, right? Yes, the podcast has been going for a few years and we've got five seasons, over 50 episodes online. And I record those at festivals around the country with amazing, fabulous guests, comedians, writers, some experts and scientists as well who unpack the sciencey part of it. And when did the idea of, OK, I can make this into a book, when did that come along? Well, I'd always wanted to do it as a book as well because I have written another book a few years ago called Is Monogamy Dead? which was all based on a survey asking what counts as cheating, which was it was very interesting. Um, in many surveys, apparently around 50% of people confessed to cheating. So I thought, if you're not cheating, you better look closely at your partner. <laughs> Simple maths. So yeah, it's got yeah. to be there. You, you, are, you are a nerd, aren't you? Wow, so sciencey. <laughs> I know, I'm so sciencey. But for me, that, that helps me understand things. And I do think there's a lot of fun in stats and statistics too because obviously you can tell that some of these surveys are just cooked up by companies who are trying to sell you something. Um, for example, I quote a survey which says couples that sleep apart in separate rooms are happier. But that was done by a bed company. Do you know, you're so right. It's like, you know, those things kind of like, oh, this is bad for you. Oh, don't eat this. It's bad for you. <laughs> then you see who did the research and it's someone who like makes the... the, the yeah, other, yeah, exactly. Yeah, They've got yeah. a vested interest in selling double beds. Yes. Yeah. yeah, find out where the news came from. During the interview, I didn't want to ask you in case the answer was <laughs> in the negative. But you are still in the relationship you were in when you were writing this book. Yes. Now, the book is... <laughs> Not just for people who've had a breakup, it's for people who are in relationships and trying to learn maybe from their past breakups or from the challenges of being in a relationship and negotiating all the chores and the housework and all the things you have to agree on and looking after the dog or whatever it is. We've got a dog, Dolly. She's lovely. Um, my <laughs> wife is lovely too. She's called Suzanne. <laughs> That's good. Oh, oh gosh, wife, I always... wife. Married, yes, married we just now. just got married this oh, year. Congratulations. Last, last summer. Yeah. So during Pride Month, which was fabulous. Um, and so the book is is really about how you learn and how you figure out what you want or need in a relationship and how to communicate and how to stay in a relationship finally. I think I have had so many breakups, I was sort of a bit addicted to them and that's why the subtitle of the book is The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak because there's a lot of reinvention that can happen and really positive change. And were you normally the dumped or were you normally the dumper? I've been both, but when I'm the dumper, I'm not very good at doing it. I tend to have really long, protracted breakups. In my last breakup, we tried to have a conscious uncoupling because I thought that was a good idea, but it sort of meant we just were breaking up for absolutely ages and nobody really knew whether we had broken up or not, including both of us (laughs) in the relationship. (laughs) So you have to have some clarity, but I think you can communicate and you can do it kindly. Listen, we've got some uh, texts in from listeners who are dealing with uh, heartache and and breakup. Jane Hove says, Rosie, the book is a real surprise uh, with its humour and its honesty if you had one message for anyone just out of a relationship that they thought would last forever, mm. which is, you know, the, the worst oh, of all, uh, what would that be? 
It would be that you're not alone and that you should reach out to your friends, your community, maybe to a therapist or a professional. But there will be so many people out there who've been in the same position who will absolutely understand what you are going through and sharing your story with other people just helps so much. And that's really why I started the podcast, because people were coming on and talking about their breakups and going, God, I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hannah in Scotland, oh, she's got herself into a mess. Uh, she, Her marriage broke up. She started seeing a new guy. Uh, it turned out he'd an undisclosed girlfriend. But oh. by that stage, uh, Hannah was invested. She was in love with this guy. However, he decided to stick with the undisclosed girlfriend and sort of ghosted Hannah. Now, oh, he's creeping out of the woodwork and he mm. wants to be friends uh, air quotes uh, yeah. the whole thing is just breaking Hannah don't know how to get over him how do you get past something like that oh it's so difficult isn't it you need to set your own boundaries Hannah and decide what you need for you and time is so healing and so wonderful and I think in time you will move past this and you will find something better and as I said the subtitle of my book is optimistic about heartbreak because I do think it can be a catalyst for change and I've written the first half of my book backwards and the second half of my book in a forwards timeline because the end of one chapter although we may not know it at the time is always the beginning of another. And isn't that lovely thing that you know, uh, we were talking about this as you get older, like you know that one day you'll find a letter from this guy or a photograph of him and you can think, God, do you remember when I was totally, <laughs> they had total control of my heart and now I'm fine and it's all good. Yes, yeah. mostly it works like that, doesn't yeah. it? I, I think there's still some people I'd be like, oh, <laughs> it'd be hard. But no, in general, I think... Moving quickly on. We become, no, we become so much more emotionally intelligent and mature and we understand, we've processed why certain people awakened something in us that was important. It may not have been about that person at all. It was about where we were yeah. at and why that moment was precious and special to us. Here's the thing. How do you get past unrequited love where you're not even in a relationship? No, you, it's up to you to break up with the person who's not even going out with you. How how do you move past something that hasn't happened? That's so interesting you ask that because I've spoken and written about this a lot and there is a storyline in the book on this topic and so many people have responded and there was a, a wonderful fellow writer, Hayley McGee, who came on the podcast and she had visited the Museum of Broken Relationships in Croatia, which is a thing. It has exhibits including an axe that a woman used to chop up the furniture belonging to her. <laughs> X. <laughs> if it helps. And she'd been reading all the little inscriptions in this museum and she said, you know what? The relationships that torture people the, the most are the ones that didn't happen. It was like this unexplored potential. It was this unwrapped gift that was sort of lying there shiny in its wrapping paper because you never got to take those sort of rose-tinted glasses off and see what the person is really, yeah. really like and go, OK, well, I've had that experience. I've had that relationship and I've learned the things I needed to learn from it and I can now move on. Whereas if you never had that, it is, in my view sometimes more difficult to move forward and it's in those real relationships that you really get to know somebody good and bad and my wife and I have a very healthy and wonderful relationship and thank you so much darling for letting me write about it. <laughs> 
That is very nice for her. Yes. Uh, yeah, but also puts milk in the fridge, so it's all good. Uh, it's a fascinating topic. I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much for coming to see us. Rosie will be. Uh, the Breakup Monologues, The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak, is out on in paperback on Thursday. Uh, take care. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. What you up to, Graham? Well, we're up to this. Yes. The, uh... Uh, the um, guest... Guest. Yep, guest the guest. Uh, basically, if you haven't ever heard the show before, we're going to play, uh, you know, a clip of someone who was on my show uh, over the years. Uh, this one's quite old. This one was 15 or 16 years ago. And if you correctly identify it, you win Graham Norton with Waitrose Gift Box, uh, which has the hot drinks cup, the champagne, truffles, florentine, shortbread, jam, balsamic vinegar. The voice we're trying to identify today is this one. The minute they brought the cake over to my father, we all... No one had the guts to say, you know, it's the wrong, it's me, or whatever. Everyone was just sort of embarrassed, and so we celebrated his birthday the entire <laughs> evening. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know, that's, isn't that kind of English where you just, like, no one just has the guts to go, it's over here, I'm the birthday girl. All right, let's see if we're giving away that Waitrose gift box. Uh, first uh, caller on the line is Bryony. Hello, Bryony. Hello, Graham, and just, it's Bernie, not Bryony, uh, Bryony's very gothic, I'm just clean Bernie. Oh, Bernie, oh, lovely, they were, tr- they were trying to dress you up, Bernie. <laughs> They were trying. They were, they <laughs> Not were, possible, Graham. I yeah. can assure you. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're trying to give you a glam, a glam makeover for the radio. If they could see me, they, I know I need it. But there you go. I'm delighted to be speaking to my favourite person. Oh, Bernie, that's very kind of you. Where are you, Bernie? I'm in Belfast. Lovely. And do you have plans for this Sunday, or is this the the height of excitement? Well, the height. Well, no. I mean, I'm uh, I'm going to back over to my pop's house because he's ninety and. Uh, you need a lot of looking after. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, I'm sure. Uh, well, Popsy will be. Popsy will be very glad if you win the uh, Waitrose gift box. There's lots of things in there. Popsy might like. <laughs> it might go over his head, but I will tell him if I do. All right. Does he still live alone? A oh, bless him, he does. Yeah, we stay with him every night. I was on a sleepover last night, and then his carers, and then we are there. Every day. He's not on his own. Oh, right. So it's a, but it's a full-time thing. God. It's a full-time thing, but sure, he's worth it. I know. He's your popsy, so you got you got to do it. Yeah. Uh, right, Bernie, I hope we can give you a, a lovely gift box. Uh, who do you think that voice belongs to? I do believe, well, I think it's Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge. Let's see if you're right. <gasps> you are right! Oh, I'm so pleased for you, Bernie. That's fantastic. I'm delighted, Graham. Oh, I'm overjoyed. I'm overjoyed speaking to you. The oh. Fortum and Masons is a bonus. <laughs> well, it's Waitrose, not Fortum and Masons. Oh, they... oh, sorry, Waitrose. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I know that. It's just we don't have either in Belfast. So, no. You know. no, but hey, that, that, that still, uh, the gift box is going to, you, the neighbours will be agog when, <laughs> when when you get out your Dutchy original uh, raspberry jam. Uh, they'll be they'll be amazed. Uh, listen, you go uh, celebrate, take care of your popsy. Thank you so much to, uh, for calling in, Bernie. Lovely to talk Thank to you. Thank you so much, Graham. You're adorable. I love you. Oh, Bye-bye. And right back at you, Bernie. Take care of yourself. Oh. Bye. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? We're also on TikTok. I know. Just look up Virgin Radio UK on all platforms to see everything from gorgeous dishes to Graham's guides. For now, speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Thank you.